Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 10. We are um, going through the Gospel of John. And uh, let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, to be in your word. We're so grateful to know uh, you personally. It's the most freeing thing in the world to not know about you, but to know you. To not know you through others, but to know you personally. To realize your great love for us. To realize your, your great desire, Lord, to, to be involved in our lives, to transform us, to fill our lives, Lord, with not just trickles of love, but with your love shed in our hearts, with hope, with joy, with freedom, with true freedom, Lord. And I pray, Father, that this morning that would uh, become evident as we look at you. I ask for your help this morning and, and, and during the teaching, Lord, that you will help us to understand, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read the first few verses. It says, um, chapter 10, verse 1, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will not follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This is where we're going to focus. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The, sh good, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. What an amazing passage. Uh, and, and this picture of God being a shepherd is one that is seen throughout the Bible. As we look at Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. Here David writes a psalm and he sees God as the shepherd, the one who cares for him, the one that leads them, the one that protects him. Remember David, when, when Goliath came, he said, when the lion came, I took the lion out. 
When the bear came, I took the bear out. There's the protection, there's the nourishment, there's the leading. Psalm 80 verse 1 says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. And Isaiah 40 verse 11 says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. God cares. He gives us that picture of a shepherd because God cares for his people and he has expressed this through the image of a shepherd and his sheep. Now, because God cares and God wants people to understand his grace, his mercy, and his loving kindness, he has given shepherds, physical people, to care for his people. He appointed human shepherds to reflect this character aspect of God. Leaders to serve as God's representatives. Leaders that would demonstrate the character of God, the caring character of God to his people. But sadly, often those who were supposed to do it were not doing it. One of the most ugly images in the Bible to me of bad shepherds are it's um, the sons of Eli. Eli was the high priest that uh, was uh, that raised Samuel, the, the prophet, and um, the priest and prophet. And, and, uh, and so Eli had sons. And in that day, there was a custom that, that what happened is they would bring offerings to the Lord. They would bring sacrifices to the Lord. And the priest would be able, out of the generosity of the people, they would be able to take the boiled meat, I boiled beef, and they would be able to take a fork into the meat, to that boiled meat, and grab some of the meat. And whatever that fork would grab, they were able to keep for themselves. It was amazing. It was amazing generosity. But the sons of Eli were not happy with that. They wanted more. So what they said is, no, 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 don't give us boiling meat. Bring us the raw meat because we want to roast it. Now, what happens when you put a fork into uncooked milk? I mean, meat. What happens when you have raw meat and you put a fork into it? How much of it do you pick up? Everything. If it's boiled, you grab a bunch, whatever that fork can grab, if it's raw, you grab everything. It became so greedy, the whole thing, that it says in verse, um, and, and you can see 1 Samuel uh, 2.12, if you, if you put it up. Um, I can, I, well, I can it, it, it says that, um, oh, she's gone. <laughs> oh, there you are. I was, like, I was waiting for it to go up, you know. But anyway, so let me read it. First Samuel um, uh, 2. That was surreal. First Samuel chapter 2. It says, um, verse 12, says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. 
And then in verse seven, it's uh, in verse 16, it says, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. That's what these priests were saying. If you don't give it, I'm going to take it by force. And it says this, therefore, the sin of the young man was great before the Lord for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. It says that people began to hate giving to God because of the greed of the priests. Those leaders that were supposed to represent, those shepherds that were supposed to represent God. Instead of leading them towards knowing God, they were leading them away from God and into empty religious ritual. Instead of leading them into green pastures of grace, they, bur they, they burdened them with man-made rules, plowing in a legal relationship to God. And instead of overflowing in mountains of grace, they were, they were leading them distressed and spiritually dead as they were. And so in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 10, God sends an incredible rebuke. And he says, this is what, the, what, what I say to the shepherds of Israel. You eat the curds of the sheep. You, you have the cheese. You make cheese through the sheep. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You, you slaughter the choice animals, but you don't care about the flock. You don't care about the people. And then verse 4 says, you, you haven't strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound the injured. You have not brought back the strays and, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals. You see what a powerful picture this is. God is saying, my goodness, you guys that were supposed to be serving the peop my people, all you could do was serve yourselves. And in response, verse 23, and this is the point how it connects to chapter 10 of John. In verse 23, he says, I will place over them one shepherd. My servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. And verse 24 says, I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And, and he says, my servant David, but David has been, he's been dead for years by this time. And what he's saying is his servant David, meaning the Messiah, the Son of Man, will come, and he will become the shepherd of Israel. And so when we read John and, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I am the shepherd that's to come from Ezekiel chapter 34. I am that shepherd. I am your good shepherd. I am the chief shepherd. And he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they, you might have life, that they might have life and have it to the full. Isn't it exciting that when we think about um, giving our life to God, most people, uh, when we think about becoming Christians, most people think exactly the opposite. Many people think of Christianity as negative, as narrow, as small, 
as restricted, as full of prohibitions. Some even feel uh, sorry for the Christian. Oh, you're a Christian. You became, I remember when I first became a Christian. Oh, you became a Christian. Oh, I'm sorry. You might as well have had a funeral. (laughs) Because in many people's minds, Christianity is I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. There's nothing that I can do, that we can do. Some people feel like that out of a a reaction to religious experiences that they've had in certain churches that are like that. There are some places that are very restrictive, that they are very um, uh, narrow. Everything is about rules and regulations with unchanged hearts without a real knowledge of God. People think that they are um, reacting to Christianity, but in reality what they're reacting to is a, a misinterpretation of Christianity. They've seen a wrong view of life, of the Christian life. And at the end of the day, what is life? What are we here for? What are we to do during the few years that we have on earth? Solomon, Solomon actually said, man, my goodness, I I got myself vineyards, I got myself cattle, I got myself wives, I got myself wealth, I got myself um, pools, I got myself, you know, I gave myself to learning and I realized, man, the dumb guy dies just like the wise guy. He says, "I, I, I gave myself to everything I could under the sun and no matter what it is I attained, when I had it, I realized it was all vanity. And by the end of Ecclesiastes, you find a man that says, this is the reason to live, to fear you, to know you, and to obey and to yield to what you have for me. He says, I attain greatness, more wisdom than all before me. I made my works great. And in Solomon's life, you see that there are spiritual dangers. Just like, just like uh, Jesus said here, the thief comes. Right? Look, the thief to rob, to steal. Spiritual forces. Forces is keeping us from life. Forces keeping us and robbing us. And we say Christianity? No. Jesus? No. I want life. I want to live. And we feel like Jesus is going to keep us from life. In a sense, I believe in many ways we've been, you know, we have all kinds of peoples with vaccinations. They feel about vaccination very strongly. Some people are like, okay, our vaccines are great. Other people say, I hate vaccines. They're from the devil, whatever. But what it does mean is this. We've been vaccinated with Jesus. That means, remember, a vaccination, a a traditional vaccination is you get a little bit of something, enough, that when the real one comes, you repel it. 
And I think we've, given, we've been given enough of Jesus that we think we know everything, but it, that enough keeps us from receiving what actually Jesus has for us. And we are robbed. We are robbed when we think that life is found anywhere else other than in Jesus. Robbed of what? We get robbed of God. I think the greatest thing that can ever happen to a human being is to be reconciled, to make peace, to reconnect, to be in intimate relationship again with God, personal, loving, intimate, honest relationship with God. And Satan comes to steal, to keep us from that personal knowledge of God. So we are robbed of God. Robbed of innocence. You know, you think of, um, in the name of life, I want to live. I want life. Think about the plain fools of people, young people, that come to Mallorca and they get a hotel room in Magaluf and they will never be the same. Under the, under the guise of living life, they go back with changed lives. Never the same. Robbed of their innocence. You think of the ladies that, 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 that are... Uh, Steffi and Jess are involved with, with uh, real love. And you think of these ladies looking out and, and wanting a better future and leaving their countries and hear the thief and, the, and, and, and in search of life, they end up being traded and used and abused. But also robbed of energy. Think of someone just... Just, I mean, I, I think of one particular person at the church, you know, that uh, just given to alcohol completely, just wasted, and, and, and just, you know, in the name of life, in the name of ex experiencing, all of a sudden, every morning, exhausted and with a headache, it robs us of our energy. In that name of life, Pursuing life without Jesus, we are robbed of true love. The woman at the well, you've had five husbands. And he says to him, if you would drink of the water I give, you will never thirst again. Here's a woman after five relationships. Unloved still wanting more. And Jesus says, the water I give, the love that I have. And if we're honest with ourselves, the society, the times that we're living in, people are profoundly unhappy. Right now in this room, we are in the, I think it's the 5% richest people in the world. 5% richest people in the world and profoundly unhappy, turning to many different things of escape. And yet we put on the makeup on Instagram and on, and on Facebook and everything just looks so amazing, appearing so much. 
But the devil comes and he steals from us under the guise of life, living, freedom, and he kills the best in us. The values, the moral decisions, kills the conscience, kills the sense of shame, kills a desire for better things. And we develop the mentalities, I couldn't care less. Seared consciousness. Killing a sense of what is noble. There was one particular pastor I was reading, and he says, it's like going to a ruins. Going to ruins, and you see this amazing building. You can only see the traces of it because it's, it, it's messed up. Like if you go to the Acropolis in, in Athens, and you see this amazing building, and you see uh, a sign that says, so-and-so used to live here. In a sense... You could say, or even in, in Pompeii, we, I was watching a documentary of Pompeii. I don't know if it was a very clever idea with my eight-year-old. He's, you see these bodies petrif- I mean, uh, made into stone from, from the volcano. But, but you see that people used to live there. It's the traces of it. And the devil comes and he ruins humanity. And you can put a sign there, God used to live here. But here, Jesus, the good shepherd, he says, but I, Jesus, have come. I have come from eternity. That, the one from Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, the one that comes from eternity, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Oh, the caricatures of Christianity. If I become a Christian, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't. I must give up and be miserable. Christianity is too narrow for me. I want something bigger. What a misunderstanding of Jesus. What a misunderstanding of Christianity. What a misunderstanding of life. Jesus came from heaven he came was born of a virgin he lived on earth for 33 years and he gave himself he was not taken he gave himself to go to the cross to pay a debt that you and i could never pay for ourselves to accomplish a victory to us to fulfill a law that we will never be able to fulfill to fulfill a standard that we will never be able to fulfill. He rose to give us a life that we will never be able to attain. And he ascended to give us a life that can only be received as a gift. Christianity is not telling you to keep the Sermon on the Mount The other day, Jonathan said to me, Christianity's hard. I don't want to love my enemies. I can't love my enemies. Of course, there's bullies at at school. And he's just like, I just don't want to love them. And of course, we can't keep that as a rule. There's no way that a man in himself can love enemies. The Ten Commandments. Try to keep the Ten Commandments. 
It's all good. It's all good uh, uh, when it's outward stuff, but the moment it begins to tackle the heart, we realize that in our hearts, you know, Jesus really brought to the heart. He's, it says, "It says you shall not murder." But then he says this. But I tell you that if you hate someone in your heart, you've already murdered them. He says, "Yeah, you've heard it said." You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. What do you do with that? Don't forget the action. What do you do with the heart? And the point is that God knows you can't keep that. Christianity is a gift. And it is a gift in the sense that it is a new life. It is a new dynamic that comes into us. Hard to describe, but that is what the New Testament says. The woman at the well, five husbands you've had, and the one you live with now is not your husband. And Jesus says to her, the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Think about that. The water that Jesus gives will become a spring within into everlasting life. That is life. You cannot create that. God creates that. Look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in sins and trespasses. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. This is not something we attain. This is something that is given to us, life. A full life, an abundant life, a life of a new mind, a new heart, a new dynamic. And my goodness, Re remember, I was born and raised in a superstitious, vaccinated with Jesus society. And I did catechism, I did communion, I did uh, the things that I needed to do, and, and then the next things, you know, there would have been the, the, the steps forward in that, in, in, that, uh, in, in that ritualistic environment. And then at the age of 19, when I'm about to go to war, I'm about to go to Iraq, I realized, my goodness, if there's chemical weapons there, and I was gassed, I was gassed in boot camp with CS gas, and I remember feeling my lungs petrifying, and then all of a sudden liquid coming out of my lungs, through my eyes, through my nose, through everything, just snot coming out, trying to get everything out. And I remember thinking to myself, if CS gas is the training stuff, what will be the real stuff? What will it do to my body? And they gave me a, a nice pen. Now they're common with people with in, uh, allergies, but they gave me a pen that says, if you ever come in chemical warfare, just give yourself the shot and that'll give you another 20 minutes to fight and die. And all of a sudden I realized death could be quite close. So I became a Mormon because they were the Latter-day Saints and I didn't want to become to the oh, ancient saints. I want a current. And, and I remember them saying to me, if you could just be good for 30 days, but I couldn't. 
I couldn't be good for 30 days. Then I ended up on cocaine. I, I, I just, I, sorry for repeating myself, but I, I just, this image of four in the morning, me looking for cocaine on the streets as if people just drop it there for you to find it. Like a rat. Drug addicts telling me, you can't take this, you're going to die. Drug addicts telling me that. I got on a plane, and on the plane, a lady told me about Jesus for eight hours. Just remember, don't get too comfortable on a plane. It might be an opportunity. And then I got off that plane, and uh, I was like, okay, God bless you. You live your life. I will live my life. I, uh, I did my own rehab. I took five grams of cocaine on the plane with me, and uh, which is crazy. I could have ended up in prison. And, um, and I just weaned myself off of it, but I was already looking for stuff. And then some young people, some 19-year-olds, took me to listen to an evangelist, and that day I gave my life to the Lord. I didn't feel anything. I just prayed with someone I'd never seen before, never saw after. And I thought to myself, okay, I prayed, I walked away, and I, I just remember things were different. I, 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 it wasn't a feeling, I just knew something had changed. And I knew Jesus had done it. And I knew that the, 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 the way that I was going to realize and know what had happened to me was going to be to know God's word and to know Jesus better. And then a journey began where all of a sudden I was no longer in control of my life. Somebody else was in control of my life. I got a new mind. I began to understand the word of God for myself. Yes, I would listen to pastors because it's always good to listen and it's always good to learn, but not to indoctrinate. It's always good to learn, to stimulate, to learn, to have a first knowledge of the word for yourself, for ourselves. And then when we go to church, we actually go, oh, wow. But we already have our, we already have our own experience with the first hand with the word of God. And through the word of God, understanding more and more the meaning of life. explaining the world around us. Our minds transform, understanding what Jesus has done and the hope that he brings into our lives. It's not rules, it's life. A new heart. I began to have new affections. It wasn't now, you got to serve God. It was like, I want to know God. I want to love God. I love God. The things I'm discovering about him is just amazing. There was new affections. Listen, guys, do you want love? You can try the Rolling Stones or you can try Jesus. Honestly. I can't get no satisfaction, and I try, and I try, and I try, and they're still trying.
And then take Willis, uh, what, what is it, uh, Cooper or other, or some of these rockers that have become Christians and all of a sudden they tell you, even Santana, I think, became a Christian. And they, and they tell you that, my goodness, the love they sense. You know the guy, you know the song, I want to know what love is. He became a Christian. And he changed the lyrics. He says, I want to know what love is. And Jesus has shown me. Claude. You want to know what love is? You want to experience love? Deal Moody was walking on the street and he was praying that he would experience God. And he says that the, the Holy Spirit fell upon him in such a way that and the love began to overwhelm his heart. And he actually had to tell God to stop, please stop. But there's no love like the love of God and found in Jesus Christ. There is no love like that. It doesn't matter. Look, I love Loretta. I am married to Loretta. I mean, I marvel at, at I mean, I, I, I am today as in, I'm more in love with Loretta than I was when I met her. But it doesn't compare to the love of Jesus Christ. It, that just doesn't compare. Do you want joy in your life? You know, sometimes the guilt in our life Do you want joy of guilt removed? Do you want the joy of, like, like Paul was talking about, communion, fellowship with friends that know him? Kind of like Mary and Elizabeth when nobody understands them, but they come together and they begin to talk about what God is doing in their lives and their hearts burn within them. They're, they're rejoicing together what God is doing. There's no joy better than that. Well, I guess a little bit better. There's a bit more when you find yourself intimately in fellowship with God yourself. They said about F.B. Meyer when he died that as he lived, so he died. There was no climax. There was just that interchange between him and God. An interchange, a fellowship, a constant fellowship of the Holy Spirit within us. I mean, I can some, I mean, we can sometimes go through such difficult times and in that moment of such difficult times experience tremendous joy just in fellowship with Jesus. We live in an age of anxiety. We've never been exposed to so many trials all at once. We know about every war all over the place. We know about tsunamis, about earthquakes, about volcanoes, about riots, about murders, about mass shootings. We know everything all the time as we watch the news. And our hearts can only take so much. And our hearts are filled with anxiety. You want peace? He will keep them in shalom, shalom, the Hebrew says. Shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. The peace of God. You know, my son, Jonathan, he, he, he's always trying to explore more what to watch and, and, and even things that would scare him because he, has, he doesn't want to have, he wants to overcome it, which I, I, I admire that. But for me, it's like, I, I'm at a stage in my life, I don't want to explore all that stuff. I just want to enjoy the peace that God gives Do you want romance? 
there's no romance like the life of Jesus. To see, I mean, we could talk about romance just by listening to your testimonies. How Jesus won you. How Jesus won me. Just, just tell our story and you see the romance of heaven. I have loved you with an everlasting love. With strings of kindness I have drawn you. What is more romantic than that? You want thrill. Oh my goodness, there's no thrill. I un honestly, I do not understand when Christians are bored. I feel like a Navy SEAL, man. No, honestly. I mean, think about it. You meet somebody. You don't know where they're coming from, but there are spiritual forces holding them trapped, and you are there. Whoever it is, sometimes you don't even, you, you might be buying bread, and, and, and something happens, kind of like with, with uh, Peter. Peter is, uh, he, he sees Pear, uh, who became a Christian through another guy that came to church, and, and, and Peter is in a mess. He almost died of COVID. If you've seen the movie Outcast, Castaway, that's what Peter looked like in the picture, in the hospital. I mean, he looked a mess. And he sort of, he meets Pear, and he goes, hey, Pear, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm making videos at the church. And he goes, I'm coming with you next week. He came in the middle of the pandemic. We had two services. He would come to the first one. There was two people. Sometimes there was just a worship band and me here. It was crazy. And he would be faithfully sitting there. Faithfully sitting there. And he was just telling me, we had a coffee on Friday, and he was just telling me how now he goes to places and people used to be afraid of him. And now they just smile at him and he smiles at them back. But you see, that's a rescue mission. I mean, our testimonies are right. And so we are in the most exciting things. I never thought, I mean, when I became a Christian and I said, Mom, I want to be a missionary. My mom's like, you can be a, a Christian and make money, which is true. But I wanted to be a missionary. And my goodness, I mean, the, the, the adventures that, that I've been on with Jesus, it's just amazing to, to pastor the church here, to be a part of your lives, to be a part of what God is doing all over the world. There is nothing boring about being a Christian. And if we are bored with Christianity, it's like being bored with Handel's Messiah. The problem is not with Handel's Messiah. The problem is with the lack of appreciation of music. <laughs> and you see, Jesus says, the thief comes to rob and steal, but I've come that you may have life and life more abundant. Not just to live on earth, but listen, to live on and on and on and on. To live quality of life. But a, a life that increases, that grows, it doesn't fade. Watch older people wasted and exhausted and winding down. Watch older people that are wasted and exhausted and winding down. I, I, we knew a, surgeon, a sergeant for the Second World War, Jean Maine, a woman here. She looked at me in the face and she says, if someone had told me what it was like to grow old, it is so difficult. We went to visit Tonino and Anita in Italy. 
I've told you about her sometimes in Tonino. And um, she, they did, they put some medicine on her eyes. She went blind. Now we met her again. They amputated two legs. And we went to visit her and prayed with her and told her about, though the outward man perished, the inward man is being renewed day by day. My mother-in-law, 76 years old, had just lost her husband of 60 years. And you can see the pain and the winding down. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And in contrast to the life winding down is Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I mean, think about this. The best years in Jesus, the best years, our best years are still ahead. I don't care if you're 99 years old. Your best years are ahead of you with the Lord Jesus. Jesus has come to give life and life more abundantly. And Jesus says, the, the, the thief comes to rob and steal, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Yesterday, I watched a, a reel, which was, um, I'm closing with this, by the way, just to give you hope. But yesterday, I watched the reel, and I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> There's one video I really like that she did. I thought it was very creative. And, uh, but she just did a concert in Wembley Stadium. And, um, oh, man, I forgot the song. What was the song? How does it go, Lorde? No, you don't remember? I showed you yesterday. So anyway, so Taylor Swift is there, and she's in Wembley Stadium. I think it's like 100,000 people fit in that thing. It's just an incredible amount of people. Uh, and, and that place is jam-packed. And then she gets, she plays one of Robbie Williams' songs. And he is, he is beneath the stage. And she begins to play it as, as if she's going to play it. And she begins to sing it. And as she's singing it, Robbie Williams pops up. And then he begins to sing. At one point, the people caught on to the song. I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Not Taylor Swift or Robbie Williams, but the people just singing there. But at one point, the, the, the people were singing with all the speakers, without, with, 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 with everything that was there, the whole production, the people drowned Robbie Williams and Taylor Swift. It was like a big worship event in some ways, you know, I mean, if you can understand what I'm saying. And then I thought, okay, concert's over. Everybody goes home, has had a great experience, and everything just winds down. But I thought, can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven? Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis and an appearance and there was a rainbow around the throne. And then it says in verse eight, four living creatures, each having six wings were full of eyes around within and 
they do not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him and who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before him, before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you they exist and were created. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll. And I looked, and behold, in the midst, in the throne, and the four living creatures, and in the midst the elders stood, a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. Then he came and took the scroll. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation have made us kings and priests to our Lord and we shall reign on the earth. And here thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels and people, souls, worshiping the Lord, that will never end. And Jesus says, the thief's going to offer you life. But he offers to rob and to steal. But I am the good shepherd. And I've come to give you life. And life more abundantly. Don't fall for the trap of making a caricature of Jesus. He is everything we could ever long for. Following him always leads to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And we pray, Lord, that um, help us, Lord, to realize that the, only, the, the, the true friend we have, it's you. That you change our minds, our hearts, breathe life into us. It's not about keeping a few rules. It's about knowing you and experiencing your transforming power in our life and your companionship. Love that surpasses knowledge. Joy unspeakable. Peace that surpasses understanding. And thank you, Lord, that in these verses we learned that you are the true shepherd. You're the one that really cares for us. Help us, Lord, 
Help us to know you. And if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, I pray that you will write your romance with them. The way that you kindly draw, lovingly woo, the way that you bring us, Lord, into your family. Help us drink, Lord, of that life that you provide. Help us to see that the cross, like when we see, we sang today, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Help us, Lord, to know your voice and to flee the thief, to be the sheep, Lord, that know that you lead us into green pastures. In Jesus' name, amen.